damn, that that one chord, if you sit on it, the first one you played, that sounds so fucked. Yeah, it really does. But it sounds awesome in context. But any tension becomes interesting or validated by the fact that it, there's a resolution after, right? Right. And then, uh, well, I guess I, 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 I like Lydian a lot. Uh, so let's say using the same approach of upper structure triads, let's say an, a D major triad over that same C. Very dreamy. So sick. Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm Anand Harsh, editor-in-chief of TheUns.com, Bill's manager and designer of the You're Fired Donald Trump bottle opener. That one is uh, for me, Bill, Killsmith, and the angry and potentially unmedicated lady at the BWI gas station. Bill's guest is multi-instrumentalist and producer Anomaly. With nearly two decades of classical and jazz training and millions of streams, Anomaly's studio output and live show is absolutely stunning. This is a super fun conversation, and fans I know will be craving to hear more from these two. On November 19th, Bill's in Austin for Beyond Existence, and November 20th, he's at Otherworld in Ohio for the only Mr. Bill Gates set of the year and a bonus IDM set. Then he rings in 2022 with a Kill Bill date supporting Ganja White Night in Detroit on New Year's Eve. We might be adding in a couple of last-minute dates for 2021, so stay tuned. Tickets at Linktree slash Tunes. Again, we're changing how fans can hear this podcast and how you support the show. Thanks for everything you've done on the Patreon. We're building out a new alternative now, but your support does mean the world to us, so thank you. Finally, head over to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up to become a hardcore Abletoneer. This is how you become better at making electronic music, period. That's all for me. Enjoy Bill's chat with Anomaly. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. sick oh yeah man how, how you been how you doing i've been very good dude um i've been set up in this space now since uh like early july so uh it's it's super nice dude um i'm finally able to make some noise which was uh something that had been missing from my life for the past few years uh so you know most of my days are spent here I'm still learning a lot, but it's very fun. That's yeah, uh, nice. Yeah, were you uh, you couldn't make noise because you were living in like an apartment or something? Yeah, exactly. I was, you know, once in a while I could switch to speakers, but any recording was like not really possible. I I could do a little bit, but uh, I was mostly on headphones. But I've been wanting to, you know, get a real piano for a while and kind of like dive into drums and that kind of stuff. So I was able to like dive really fully in with this with this project so it's 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 very very fun yeah that's awesome the space looks great it's cool to thank you dude yeah it looks awesome just having like a fully mic'd piano there all the time and ah dude it's it's uh 
It's amazing. And how you've been, dude? Uh, so, so where are you right now? I think you're you're not in Denver anymore, right? No, I moved to San Francisco. Are you still in Montreal? Yep, yeah, still in Montreal. Oh, that's fantastic. And so, how long have you been uh, in in this space you're in right now? Um, in this particular space, about a year, but in San Francisco, in total, about two years. Okay, gotcha. And how do you like it? It's awesome, man. I love San Francisco. It's so so cool. Nice. Do you find, um, so there's like a few markets, I feel like, around the United States that are kind of tough to like get crowds in. And gotcha. two of those markets, I feel like, uh, San Francisco and New York, they're like big cities, but they're like kind of tough, I've found at least for, um, for electronic music. But because your stuff is like so jazzy, you probably do well in both of these cities, right? Uh, New York has has been doing pretty well. I think San Francisco... We played twice. I think I think it did fine, but uh, obviously this is there's no co correlation. Like you, it just yeah. happens. But I think I remember that both of our shows were like pretty, like low energy as far as like the the crowds went, which mm. isn't necessarily related to the city. It just happened to to be that way. But I I know that just stuck with me. But <laughs> you know, from you San really, Francisco. Yeah, yeah, but you, you, it doesn't mean that it's because it's in San Francisco. It just happened to be that car. It might be like the sound conditions or the venue. Like, mm. where did you it, play it? Happens. Uh, where did we play? Uh, I I need to dive back in into my my dates. I I forgot the name of the <laughs> <laughs> other venue. Might have been like the Great Northern or the Midway or UC Theater. Oh, or I think the Midway. The Midway rings a bell. The Midway, that yeah. The, mid, the Midway is cool. Nice. Um, yeah, San Francisco is an odd city in terms of playing shows because right. the the crowd is just a little bit older. Like it's not kids. Mm. Whereas I find a lot of other cities, you know, they're like college cities or um, yeah. you know, cities that have, uh, <clears throat> yeah, just a lot of kids in them. Like Denver, for instance, you go to a show and like the mean age of the, the uh, patrons in the crowd are like, And maybe 22, 23 years old. Yeah, exactly. Um, whereas you come to San Francisco, the mean age of everyone in the crowd is like 30 to 35 years old because like everyone just, you know, they're all like in tech and working at Google and Facebook and shit. Yeah, absolutely. That must definitely make a difference. Totally. Yeah. So I think like uh, you can kind of tell the difference in energy between like a really young crowd and like a slightly older crowd. A slightly older that, crowd that is definitely... That makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. How's how's Montreal? Is it um, should, probably really hot right now, right? Uh, at this time of the year, it's starting to get cold. Uh, you know, the the start of fall. Um, well, it, honestly, it varies like pretty drastically from a year to another with climate change and all. Sometimes it's super hot. Sometimes it's super cold. Now it's like kind of normal fall cold that's just starting to to get in. Uh, but you know, it's nice. Um, It's been um, obviously like a little bit all over the place with the, the pandemic, um, but it's like kind of under control right now with like a lot of events starting again, obviously with more conditions and stuff that you need to, to make sure is okay. I think like my, my girlfriend went to Oshiaga. I don't know if you know Oshiaga, like one of the big music festivals in yeah. uh, Montreal. She went there yesterday with some friends and, you know, like basically wherever you go, like from a section to another, you need to get like a, a certain check and show your your tickets and passes and like everything is like monitored and also you know it's like a well i guess it's like that in a lot of places but like this is for co because of covid right yeah yeah exactly trying to keep everything in check or i don't know 
Yeah. But, Do you uh, have like a, a Vax card or something like that? Yeah, like on the on the province level, so like kind of like a state level. Um, it's mandatory everywhere in the country, but it's not like one like idea for the country. It's just for for the state, which is interesting. Huh. But yeah, that yeah. is. It's kind of like a driver's license or something. Yeah. Because in the states, it's for it's for the whole country, right? It's on the federal level. Yeah. So what we do is we have this website, um, and it spits out a QR code that looks like this. I just right. set it as my lock screen on my phone, so I can like quickly get it out. Nice. Um, and whenever you go into a restaurant here, they're supposed to scan it, but they on it. I, I haven't had a scan once. I just pull really? it out and show them the QR code, and they're always like, "Yeah, that's fine," and they just let me in. Oh, gotcha. Um, and that it's been like months, and I have. No one scanned it. And I like went to all this really? effort to make like a custom lock screen background and everything. <laughs> <laughs> you went through all the effort. Yeah, I guess like for us, like we have an app and then not only do they scan it, they also ask for a separate piece of ID. Like in all the restaurants and, and bars I've, I've been to for the past. Like, Just to month, make sure that it is actually you. Yeah, because there's, there's been some reports of like hackers or I don't know. <laughs> I, I heard that people at the Unts Festival, um, so the Unts Festival, which was in like June or something, was uh -huh. kind of like the the first big festival back, I feel like, at least for me it was. Uh, and I played that one in, <clears throat> I want to say, yeah, I think it was early June. But okay. uh, to go in there, you either had to have a negative, I think a negative test and a vaccination card or a negative test or a vaccination card. Right. And apparently I heard rumors of people out the front like selling like counterfeit uh, vax cards. Tests or vax cards for Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> the vax oh cards here, I'll show, you, I'll show you what they look like here. They're like really not that hard to forge. It's like, it's literally like a little piece of cardboard that just like okay, yeah, that's has some like, writing <laughs> on it. Yeah, it's like a piece of, <laughs> like literally a piece of paper that just has some writing on it. Wow. So like, yeah, I could so easily like just get a piece of A3 cardboard or something from a hobby totally. store and just like, yeah, I could, I could forge this for sure. That's crazy. Damn. The other thing is like, I got my two shots, right? I got one shot on April 1st and it looks like my second shot was on April 29th. Uh -huh. um, and uh, when I go onto the website, it says I've only had one shot. So I think I can uh, go back and get another if I want and then have the booster shot. <laughs> like uh, like the third dose? Yeah, exactly. Because that's apparently a thing that you're supposed to do eventually, right? Is get a booster. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I know they're discussing like possibilities of like yearly shots. I don't know if we're, we're there still, but we'll see how how the, the virus evolves. Yeah, the Delta and Lambda variants are pretty pretty shitty looking yeah hopefully they don't cause too much stress but yeah i feel like people in america at least have just gotten to a point of like fuck it like everyone has just yeah. felt like they've been so oppressed for so long with the lockdowns even though the lockdowns here were like not that not that bad i felt like um definitely not as bad i feel like as uh like i feel like australia right now is in this weird police state sort of situation where people can only leave their houses for like two hours a day to get groceries oh, wow. and exercise and yeah Damn, and they, i had no idea that's crazy yeah and i think they can only leave between certain hours and i don't, I don't know it's like yeah huh. it's a really weird situation we didn't have anything like that here um thankfully right. but yeah i think in general people overall are, are just like fuck this i feel like i've been oppressed for too long with this bullshit and i just can't be bothered dealing with it anymore so people are like fuck it i'll get sick who gives a shit and like they've just kind of got this fuck this like attitude towards the whole thing yeah 
I don't know. Uh, like here we had like three or three or four months of, uh, of curfews, uh, which like wasn't too bad. I guess like it kind of made sense to try stuff when the numbers were getting crazy. Um, I personally like was like kind of like what you seem to to say you were experiencing. I, I wasn't like too affected by it. I was able to do stuff that I, I, I was planning on doing anyways. Mm. Um, like make but, albums know, and stuff. Obviously it was, yeah, <laughs> but obviously it was, it was weird. Did you, uh, were you financially okay during the pandemic? Yes, very fortunately I was. Um, like, cause I was already basically taking like a break, taking a, a break from touring mm-hmm. when, uh, when COVID hit and uh, I was planning on writing this next chapter. Uh, I did like run into some challenges as far as like motivation and kind of like, a little bit of panic on the on a writing side like i like i felt like I, I was blocked so i took some time off and from music uh which was really really helpful and then i came back in and got started and excited again uh mm. but uh, other than that i my main income stream was was still there i am pretty much into investing on the side as well so that was kind of doing well surprisingly and mm. all of that combined made it really really okay so do you invest mostly in like stocks or mostly in crypto? I got a little bit of crypto, but but mostly stocks, yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I feel like stocks um, and like being a stock investor is one of those things that some people who just have a really busy brain get really into. Like for instance, Hikaru Nakamura, who's like a really, I think he's like the number one blitz chess player in the world, is wow. also just like an incredibly good investor. That's so cool. I mean, it makes sense, right? <laughs> if you're like the best chess player in the world, you're also like a really good investor. That makes total like, oh, sense. If for this sure. happens, then this will happen, and then that will happen. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 exactly. Damn. Yeah, I've, I've tried. To I'm get not in. on that level. It's very much uh, very <laughs> passive, but it's there still. <laughs> yeah. Do you just do sort of like the index funds and bonds and shit like that? Yeah, that 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 kind of stuff. Yeah, that's the way to do it. It's like a safe bet. That you just put your money in there, so it's not depreciating basically over time. Exactly. I, this is the thing uh, that I didn't fucking even understand at all until like a couple of years, not even a couple of years ago. I feel like I figured this out during the pandemic is that like every year the uh, the more money gets printed basically and mm-hmm. the more money that gets printed devalues the money that's in your bank account. <laughs> exactly. Um, Savings so, account are your enemy basically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't want anything in there. Yeah, I didn't even think about it. I mean, I'm just so fucking bad with money. I feel like I'm like, yeah, I'm just bad with numbers in general that don't uh, equal force eight or 12 or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like just musical interval numbers is kind of the only shit I deal with on a daily basis. But um, oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> but yeah, so I learned about inflation and I was like, oh man, shit. So you have to like hedge against inflation basically by exactly. investing in things. Yeah. So then your money is like accruing value whilst the money is devaluing it kind of just all evens out in the end i feel like yeah well there, there are cases where you actually do generate money from it but the, the main goal is to not have it you know go down obviously. yeah not not have your money be worth less yeah totally that's cool that you're into that man that's smart <clears throat> and that's why you were financially okay during the pandemic because you took a, a smart route yeah, it, well, it, it definitely helped. I, I've been into that for for a while, but uh, always like pretty passive. Like like we just said, were were you okay during the, the during the pandemic? 
Yeah, luckily I was. So I have um, my website, which uh, where right. I like teach people how to make music, and I like yeah. give away a bunch of sample packs on there and stuff. That's like that. so and cool. Yeah, that that was enough to keep me going. Luckily, which was nice. awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I've man, honestly, I feel really guilty, but I really liked having all that time off to just like write music and and uh, <clears throat> yeah, there was like nobody calling me to be like, hey, like want to come and do this thing and then not having to feel guilty about saying I couldn't do it or something or having to make excuses because it yeah there was just this really nice chilling vibe at home all the time and and I know like I'm in probably the you know top 10 percent of luckiest people on the planet or something that were able to even do this but um yeah it was I had a great time <laughs> and a I, I totally get that <laughs> Oh yeah, dude. So, what's your living situation like now? Are you in a house or still an apartment? Yeah, so uh, I'm in a house with my with my girlfriend, and uh, so this is the basement um, that I was able to convert into the studio. So it took like it took like two months and a half, or uh, close to three months, to to get the studio set up. Um, but uh, but it was it was very very much worth it. Like I can play at night and not have to worry about neighbors and stuff so it's 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 really really cool i'm a little bit like slightly further away from the the center of a of the city than i was before but it's 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 not a a deal breaker yeah i mean 90 percent of your time is probably spent at home anyway right so exactly why why live closer to the center of the city just for the extra 10 percent of the time there you You go and i mean if needed i'm still on the island it just it takes a little bit more time to go see shows and stuff or or friends that are closer to the center but it's still very much doable so yeah seems like a worthy trade-off yeah yeah exactly did you um do much streaming and stuff uh during the pandemic yeah so from october of 2020 to march i i moved in april so to for like six months, I did two streams a week on Twitch. Then I took a break to, to get settled in into the new space. And then I started again in July, but only once a week uh, to kind of focus on, on finishing the album. I mean, two days a week isn't too crazy, but I don't know, just the mental space and energy outside of the actual streaming time, I, I'm really, really focusing on finishing this project until like late December or something. That's the, at least the current plan for now. How yeah, about you? Nice. Have you been streaming as well? Uh, not as much lately, um, just because I've like been going through a bunch of personal issues and shit. Ah, uh, like, sorry to hear that, man. That's fine. Yeah, I think I'm like starting to get over it now, so that's good. Um, okay. Yeah, just a bunch of like mental health crap and addiction stuff and all this bullshit. I dealt with it last year during the pandemic. I feel like like once a year I have like a big problem for like a few months and then I'm like, gotcha. and then I figure it out again. And then the next year I like have another big problem for a couple of months. It's just part of. Uh, uh, it's so important to take care of that and allow yourself some space and time to, to work <clears throat> on that. Cause it's yeah. everything else depends on that. Exactly. Yeah. If you're not fit for service, you can't help anyone. There you go. Wait, what did you ask again? <laughs> oh, whatever. I think, it doesn't matter. Uh, oh, if if you were streaming, if you were streaming, oh, if I was streaming, right? Yeah. Right. So, um, during the pandemic, I was uh, while I was working on my album, I was streaming like a couple of times uh, a month. Like, not right. I wasn't. It wasn't like any set schedule or anything. I gotcha, really, gotcha. Yeah, I'm like one of those people who hates having a schedule, which is kind of why I developed my life slash my job um, the way that I did 
just because I'm one of those people who's like, I don't, I don't want to have to wake up at a certain time and like go, I don't have, I don't want to have to be places at a certain time or whatever. And yeah, yeah. like the hardest part of my job literally is like getting to a show on time and <laughs> other than that it's like just sitting in the studio like mucking around with synths and shit like that beautiful um, speaking of which i wanted to ask you like what what's your process for writing an album because you kind of um like sit on the edge of jazz and electronic music i feel like uh do you do you do like um dedicated sound design sessions or anything like that or do you kind of like uh jam out on like the drum kit and the piano and stuff and then record those in and then sort of refine them or like how, how does your process work well, a mix of, of all of that that you mentioned. Uh, I definitely take some time every week to, to come up with some new patches. Um, I've been also like sharing some of them online, uh, not like as in a, in a, not in like an, I, I don't know how to say this, not as like ele elaborated as you, the structure that you seem to have on your website with uh, the lessons and all, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. I, I, I probably... Completely botched the way I <laughs> approached the sentence. I'm sorry, but no, uh, no, I understand what you mean. It's like okay, you, cool. you haven't you haven't released the presets as like a professional pack of presets or anything. You just kind of no, share exactly. Them it's like a bunch of little tiny packs, basically. Yeah, and nice. um, but you know, it's been fun. And then rather like it's because basically on the Twitch streams, I, I do like basically make music with with an audience, basically. And it's the way I approach it on the streaming is like pretty close to what actually happens most of the time where very often I'll start with drums uh, and then like have a bunch of recent sounds ready and then basically just have a palette that's already there sonically and then try to build from there and eventually I'll switch to the piano and then play over that and then once I have like an initial riff or something I will I will um, sorry um <laughs> I, uh, what, what was I saying? Well, yeah, once I have like an initial riff, uh, I'll like usually like remove some layers and try to prioritize a sound or have everything switch to the piano. So that's what happens most of the time. But then in certain cases, if I'm trying to develop a theme that I already recorded somewhere that I, I know it and I wanted to arrange, uh, I'll start with that and then have everything kind of follow that. Um, in many cases, if, if it's a specific theme that I have in mind and I want it to be like the center of the, the song arrangement I'm working on, then I'll try to experiment with sound design or just searching for, for a specific timbre, whether it's like an acoustic instrument or something I already have, and then trying to find the perfect fit for that section. So that happens as well. But when I'm just trying to create, I'll usually start with rhythm and then build from there. And then when I'm trying to arrange something, I have the harmony is usually the first uh, thing that comes in the creative order of things. Right. When you're coming up with synth patches, uh, do you generally try to make them uh, in, a, in a way that's like playable on the piano or do you try and make them in... Because I mean, when I make synth patches, I'm literally just holding like one key on my QWERTY keyboard and like yeah. tweaking a knob or something. So it like doesn't matter if it's playable or not. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. For me, it's, it's always playable. So I always jam a little bit while I'm adjusting it and try to see what can come of it, uh, come out mm. of it. Um, like I, I've been using the, the Juno 106 a lot for that kind of stuff. And so it kind of inspired some, some kind of sonic categories in the VSTs that I use as well. Uh, but it's pretty much always played like, unless I want a kind of like more special effect where it's just one note. Uh, I'll do something that's 
kind of closer to, to what you were describing, but most of the time it's it's to be played and play chords or a bass line or something. Nice. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's such a different way than I approach synthesis. I literally almost all of my patches are not playable on a piano. They're all just like you hold them down for like 10 seconds and they do this big like growing thing and like right. which is amazing like there's so many different approaches it's it's amazing yeah totally um what's your your process for coming up with riffs because i feel like this is um like a huge problem in my workflow actually is i often don't start from like an actual musical idea i will start from like a technical process mm. and then usually from uh engaging with that technical process some idea will come out of it and then I'll be like, oh, that's interesting. And then I'll grab onto it and then I'll start making something out of that. Right. Right. Um, but I feel like probably the way you go about it is like the other way, right? It's like you come up with the thing first and then you apply the technical process to the thing. So it sounds better. I, I guess so. But I, I, I also like, depending on the sounds that I load, the sounds will kind of dictate the sort of riff that comes out of it as well. So the sound will very often inspire The, the riff that follows because I won't play the same thing like if it's like a sort of like percussive patch or it's, it's like more of a pad patch obviously I won't play in the same way because I'll be limited by the initial attack of that specific mm. patch so it'll it'll really dictate what what's com comes out of it um, same thing if I if I'm trying to adapt something that I already wrote it will be like pretty much drastically influenced or shaped by whatever timbre is is uh is used so I guess a little bit of both, really, depending on on the context or or, or my mood. To be fully honest, mm, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I fucking I should probably get a piano. Like, literally, my my desk setup is like just a uh, mouse and keyboard. Like that's yeah, I, I remember from your yeah. <laughs> from your setup in in Denver. But it's amazing to watch you create. It, I I was like really blown away. <laughs> yeah, I really. I don't know. I'm always like envious of people who can just like play shit in super fast though and you know, get results very quickly. Well, I, 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 I kind of get what you're saying, but I could say the same from you, like how quick you are with like just all of your, your Ableton workflow and the way you come up with sound so quickly, like you developed your own, you know, workflow. You didn't have access to what you're currently naming, but then you have this whole other area of expertise that came out of it. Right. So mm. I think like, Obviously, like there are always new tools or skills that you can acquire, but I feel like creative limits, whether it's something that you impose yourself or, or like just naturally you don't have access to something, will always create something else, right? Like I feel like right. you can actually like really stimulate your approach to creativity by not having access to something, whether it's a, a certain piece of gear which is most of the time not really that important or uh having like a specific set of not necessarily rules but like a context like okay i'm i have to make something at that specific tempo today because it's kind of out of my comfort zone and then you can really surprise yourself or i have to use this type of sound or i have to use this mode or be in this key that i'm less comfortable with and then something cool can come out of it Yeah, how often do you uh, subject yourself to these creative limitations? Uh, well, quite often. S sometimes, like, so when I say that, I, I usually load, like, a couple of sounds to, to get started. Um, what I'll do in most of the cases is that I'll try to make as much stuff as possible with what I loaded without importing anything else. And then if I 
I, at some point I do break out of it. Uh, but in certain cases, it, something really cool comes out of it. And I'll just stay with those for a long while for most of the arrangement and then add finishing touches. But just having that initial kind of frame that will change each week with the new sounds that I that I kind of incorporate in it. In it. Uh, so I guess that's kind of a, a way of having a frame that I, I do often. But once in a while, I'll, I'll try to do either a sound design challenge where I have like, you know, there are a lot of challenges in com producer communities or discords online yeah, like yeah, that, totally. where like you have to sound design all your sounds from like one sample or something. Right. That's something I'll, I'll do once in a while. Or like on a harmony level, um, you know, prioritizing a certain type of chord movement or a certain type of chord quality and then trying to make a whole riff out of that specific idea or concept I'm trying to improve on. That's also something I'll, I'll try once in a while. Did you ever write music before you knew music theory? Um, so I'm very biased because I started music uh, as a kind of like classical pianist. And I also started music theory lessons very young as well. So I've been in that world since I can, you know, remember. Uh, basically for me is I started writing before producing, but then producing uh, opened this whole world of possibilities for me that that was absolutely crazy. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, I still don't know music theory, and I'm like 33 years old, and I've been doing this shit for like two decades. <laughs> well, you don't you don't need it. That's that's the the truth, the simple truth. Yeah, I I try to tell this to some people, and some people get mad, and other people are like, I agree with you because I too don't know music theory, and I want to believe it. <laughs> you know, I feel like people are always just like, you know what, the right thing is to do the the shit that I do. You know? <laughs> That's that's like very pretentious. Yeah, like, yeah, of course. But that's just how people are, right? Well, yeah, I, I guess maybe not everyone, <laughs> but there is definitely some people that will will get offended by that. But I mean, I'm in a position where I'm biased because my whole background was was centered around that. But even then, it's just I think that it's a lot of options. But there's never like a right way to do things, no matter how many how how much knowledge you have about it. Like, break the rules. You know, obviously, if you know the rules, you, you'll have more like freedom to break them or like at least more understanding. Like if you want to, let's say, do something more simple by taste, if you know the more complex options, you might be right. able to do it in a better way. But yeah. I think but with that the... approach, like there's you can always learn and improve any aspect of anything that's created. Right. So. It doesn't yeah, totally. really matter. Yeah, I think when you know the rules to something, you know like the outer edges of like, right. where where shit has been. Like you know all the paths that have been trodden. And mm -hmm. I think once you know all the paths that have been trodden, you can be like, all right, well, now I'm going to try and go into some new ground. I feel like without learning all those rules, it's kind of impossible to start breaking new ground. But you get a lot of producers and stuff who are like, oh, man, I'm doing something that's like so fresh. And then you listen to it and you're like, not really. <laughs> yeah well that's that's a good example of like where knowing what came before it kind, kind of helps but it doesn't necessarily have to be music theory as far as like maybe being a little bit more familiar with like a certain repertoire like mm. diving in specific like repertoire of like just music history whatever era it is because there's just so much music that has been made can like really kind of broaden I feel like your your options and make you aware of what has been done. I think that can be really important to kind of move on and 
maybe understand what's what's being done. Uh, but then also like Oliver, I mean, I, I include you in, in this, like Oliver Piers, there's just so much amazing music that's being done nowadays. And I feel like trying to like keep up with that can, can also really help. Oh man, it's so hard to keep up with. It's like an impossible task these days. Yeah, yeah, there's, it really is. <laughs> I was in a studio the other day. Um, so Porter Robinson did his like second Sky show here or right. Um, in Oakland and nice. a bunch of producers uh, from SoundCloud came out here uh, to check out the show and among them was like Paper Skies who I think is from Toronto um, right? and awesome. Eli, Eli Derp was out here and uh, another guy called Kazuki, another guy called Def Sharp and just basically um, like a bunch of these like 18 year old producers who have like two to four hundred followers on SoundCloud like really, really small producers, but I like went to this studio that they rented out for a day um, called Gulch Alley Studio in San Francisco. Uh, it's up in like the Tenderloin slash Russian Hill area. Okay. And I just walked in there and they were like, it was kind of weird that they rented a studio because they're all just like sitting on their laptops in headphones right. in a studio. Um, <laughs> and all of their music man they they like played me all of their shit and i was like what the fuck like how are none of you guys like massive all their music is insane and it's so young and that's so inspiring just, i just had this kind of like realization that uh there's just like probably hundreds and hundreds more of these like 18 year old producers who i haven't heard of who are just insane who are like really really like all, like I would consider these kids to be like better producers than me almost. I the, I totally get what, what you're saying. I, I've had like a little sneak peek of that in within like my sort of like Twitch discord by extension community where like just, I, I host like these kind of like monthly beat challenges and most of them are around that age as well. And every time I'm, I'm just blown away by <laughs> the sheer amount of like, I guess like creativity, talent, but also hard work, like from one month to another, the progress that I've seen, like over like a period of like maybe four or five months, like I, I always like all, I always enjoy everything that I'm listening to. But sometimes like after two or three months, I'm like, okay, this is getting like absolutely crazy. <laughs> like they're, they're like hungry for, you know, like getting more knowledge and more experience and more techniques. And then they're like actively exchanging resources and that's mm. that's crazy it's beautiful yeah i mean i i think it was it's kind of the same thing as like where i was at with guitar when i was 18 you know it's like mm. you, you just have so much time when you're that young mm -hmm. um like when i was younger i used to play guitar for like 10 hours a day or something still didn't know music theory but like i was able to just sort of listen to anything and play it um because i was just playing so so much right uh and i think it's and also not only did I have the time to play that much, but I think like, you know, when you're younger, your brain is also in that more plastic state. Um, yep. Or certain, not plastic's probably the wrong word. It's in like a state of neuroplasticity where it's like more malleable um, and you're able to soak up information a little bit easier than when you're in yeah, the Yeah, I think like the, the learning curve is like exponential. Right. And then when you couple that with the fact that these kids have literally grown up fucking watching TV on an iPad for their whole life. And like, you know, they've had the internet. Like I, dude, the generation that, that I'm talking about, these 18 year olds, I'm pretty sure probably don't remember a time when in internet didn't exist, right? No, exactly. They, they grew up with it since <laughs> they were a toddler. <laughs> right. Yeah. Whereas like I, I like 
distinctly remember coming home one day from high school and my dad being like, hey, we have internet now. And right. I also distinctly remember a time before I was in high school, I think I was like in late elementary school, like year six or something, when my dad and I were at a bowling alley and they had like a computer in the bowling alley and you could put two bucks in it uh, and use the the internet for like a couple of minutes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember like using the internet Damn. in this bowling alley and just being like, what the hell is this fucking weird box thing that you just put That's $2 That's amazing, into? dude. Yeah, wow. Puts things in, in, in uh, perspective. <laughs> Right, exactly. So it's like if you take all of those things like time plus neuroplasticity plus internet and technology from day one, it's just, yeah. it breeds these incredible producers. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's probably, I don't know if it's the same with piano, right? Like you were probably insane at piano when you were 18, right? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I did grow up with it. So it's been a part of my life for a very long time. Um, so yes. <laughs> Well, you're, you're very kind to say so, but I, I don't know, like I wasn't as it, cause it's always like, it's always relative to maybe like the environment you're in or the people that you're comparing someone to. Um, yeah, right. I mean, I, I've been very privileged and fortunate to have access to like, you know, amazing teachers for a long while. My, my mom is a musician, so I had access to that since I was a kid. My dad is had a radio show that was all about classical music. So my whole oh, wow. environment and life was like centered around that, right? So I had access to it like very, very much early on. But like, let's say as soon as like I started doing like, uh, I don't know, like contests and competitions, that, that kind of thing, which I didn't really enjoy, especially in the classical world. Like there were so many kids that were, way way more crazy than whatever i could uh, like imagine uh, like getting to as far as like a uh, level goes um i mean some kids just didn't have a life whereas like i my life was pretty balanced i was like always practicing and trying new things but i never really got to a point where my whole day-to-day -day was music if that makes sense like i i've had periods where it was more intense for a couple of weeks or like i i was really trying to get my repertoire like solidified same thing with like production or trying to finish a track sometimes i get really absorbed and spend like multiple days where it's it's most of my days but like as far as like months or even a year uh i've always tried to to keep my 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 life uh, as balanced as possible if that makes mm -hmm. sense yeah, absolutely. Do you um, have a like strict training or practice regime currently or? Uh, yeah. So I don't really, I don't really follow like a necessarily like in, in terms of hours or like I, I need to, to get to this point, but it's super important for me that it's, it's at least daily so that there's something that happens every day. And then the priority will shift or the focus will shift depending on if there's like an upcoming deadline for a song or something or i'm really working on an arrangement or i have to prepare something for a show i'll to like proportion of practice versus writing or transcribing or practicing for a show or something will like really vary depending on what's what's coming but all of those different elements definitely happen every day and then there's like one day in the week where i don't do any of that if possible and then sometimes it doesn't happen but i try to to have a, a complete off day where I, I don't do any of that, basically. Right. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I, I kind of do the same thing with Ableton, but I think I nice. just sort of do it naturally. Like, I'll just open it every day and, like, do a couple of things 
so long as Perfect. I'm in the studio, if I'm traveling, I find it difficult to do. Um, but I guess like when you're traveling, mm. you're traveling for touring reasons. So you're just playing every day anyway, like in like soundcheck and the show, right? Yeah, but it's definitely not the same as practicing at home with like that environment and then having a, a set goal for something or con a concept that you're working on or something. Now, well, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, so you, so would you say that you're not able to create when you're away from your studio or like do you try to still come up with ideas or i generally don't um right. when i'm away from my studio i i've tried to before and i have before obviously but mm -hmm. um it's not like preferable and i generally find i mean these days i only ever leave the studio for like to tour for like two or three days at a time usually right like i'll go out do like one or two shows and then come back i don't really like doing the long grindy tours anymore Mm -hmm. um and so that's fine like i just go out for a couple of days and just do the show and dj instead of making music and then come back and make music um but what, what would you say the difference is between like playing a show and practicing well with a show you're not like actively repeating something or in order to incorporate it or like develop it into something you're just playing the continuous show so you're kind of keeping up with your physical like i guess like capabilities or like dexterity just because you're doing it often but you're not necessarily improving because you're playing the same the same show well in my case uh even though like it's it's even further than that because it's a very prepared show where there's not like a lot of room for exploration there will be more in, in the new version of, of the show that we're we're going to start putting together at the start of next year but It's like definitely not the same as like sitting down and trying to work on on something by repeating it. If you have an error, you start over and then you play it slower and then you try to make variations out of it. That that doesn't happen when you're giving a performance. I actually have a good analogy for this with mountain biking. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, with mountain biking uh, and chess, actually. Uh, with mountain biking, which is something I got into massively in the pandemic, I was like trying to get better nice. at it. And I, I realize um, the way to get better at it is when I like see a section that has like a jump or a section that has like a really crazy berm or like a section that, you know, has a drop or like some, something that's technical or hard mm -hmm. to do. If I s did what's called sessioned it, which is like where you just keep doing it over and over again, um, you, you get way better, way quicker than if you like just ride the whole trail down. Mm. Because if you ride the whole trail down, then you only experience that little technical part once. But if you do it over and over again, you experience totally. that little technical part like 20 times in a row and then you like build the skill way quicker. That's a solid analogy. <laughs> and the, the same thing with chess, right? Like I was trying to get better at chess during the pandemic and I found like just playing games of chess online uh, would get me better, but nowhere near as fast as if I just did the chess puzzles that were on the website where they mm. just keep spitting out like uh, like a position and then you're like, a what's the best situation? Position? Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, Dad, I didn't, even, I didn't know you could do that. That makes total sense. On chess.com or Lee Chess, yeah, you can just like click puzzles and just do do a bunch of puzzles. Do you play chess? I don't. Well, I, I used to when I was like in elementary school, so it's been a very long time. <laughs> mm. Yeah. How is the logistics of touring with a band? Like, are you still, have you gone back to doing shows since uh, everything's gone back? I haven't actually because um, I'm waiting for the... Basically, I'm, I'm working on this album right now, which will be my first uh, full-length album. I, I've had like the project of doing it for a while, but in 2019, I was 
touring a lot and not really inspired as far as like a new chapter goes and then 2020 it started to to take shape with with challenges as well and then i've been like really on on a streak for for a while now so basically the first single is coming out in november and then from there it's building uh right uh until until like the album drop in april and then we would start touring again after that so basically i'm getting the band together again at the start of 2022 to start putting that together mm. and then basically we're we're not going to be touring before that because the the show as, as it was before in my mind it's like it's over i'm just moving on to <laughs> to this new version of it basically with like the new material and repertoire and all of that mm. um so so yeah that's basically it I, I made like little appearances like as a piano player i guess like in local uh situations or, or gigs but like very it was very scarce right man that's so cool that if you like play piano you can just like rock up to gigs and play and shit that's i mean i guess it's the equivalent of rocking up to a like place that has cdjs and just being able to plug your usb stick in and start djing but totally totally i feel like it's just way more impressive to go into a bar and just like shred a piano like i, I remember one day i was <laughs> drinking in a pub and some guy came in who was like really drunk on like wine but he was like a crazy piano player and he was just playing like all this weird irish music and shit and i was like that's so that's, cool it's like that's the coolest shit i wish i had that skill nice <laughs> it's like one of those things that you wish you had it but it's like are you willing to put the time in for it right feels like one yeah, of those things I mean, that just takes a lot of time you, you kind of need to choose uh your priorities and what you're most interested in and but also motivated to to kind of do yeah totally um <clears throat> cool man well i i uh got some questions from twitter and discord usually okay. when i do these podcasts i'm like hey you know, i got so and so on the podcast do you want to ask them anything and um and so we got some questions and i also uh always get some questions from my manager too because he just um he's i always just ask him hey you want me to ask this person anything and, nice uh so his question is uh who is more obnoxious jazz snobs or edm snobs hmm interesting <laughs> i i must say i i'm not sure i'm that familiar with edm snobs but i'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it my initial reaction would probably be jazz snobs i hate jazz snobs <laughs> but uh that's my my answer is very biased because i i'm not that familiar with edm snobs right uh edm snobs are like um like anything that was made after 2008 is bullshit and like you know oh, okay back, back in the day like apex twin is the best shit ever and everything else like pales in comparison and wow <laughs> okay stuff like that interesting for jazz snobs i think there are like multiple type of jazz snobs i guess like one of the classic ones is like i guess like the school or like jazz university men mentality where like everything is like you know jazz didn't school didn't start like in a like a curriculum or or school environment it was very much like the voice of the people and obviously like very much linked to to the black people's like social justice cause and everything especially like bebop um but like that's where it initially started with like as a kind of response to the oppression that those people were were experiencing and then eventually evolved like in multiple currents and then what what's like jazz today is many many genres of music that have that common influence like as a a starting point right and so i kind of get annoyed by like people that are a little bit more like elitists that that will say that's not jazz well 
<laughs> what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, what, <laughs> That's what kind is, of like what is jazz? I mean, it's just some wrong notes thrown in there, right? Basically, take any genre and play some wrong notes, and then it's jazzy, right? Well, yeah. I mean, there's where like maybe there's like a lot of dissonances. There's like free jazz that's like fully embraces that, and it just like it gets crazy, and it's about timbres <laughs> and fluid interactions between musicians, but. You know, it's just there's so many sub genres that come from that. Uh, I don't know. I I, I think. T- what is your uh, definition of jazz? My definition of jazz. Well, what I just said before, it was that that it, it was a starting point in a very specific like historical context, and then it evolved into multiple branches that each have their own uh, social and historic context or musical context. And a lot of people, obviously, like as with all genres of music, people across the world now have their own way to approach whatever they're creating with multiple influences. So I think there's so much music that we're listening to today that whether it's a conscious decision or it's just, or, or it's not have some roots in that initial music movement that was defined as jazz, but I think it's much broader now. So I, that will be my explanation, even if it's still very broad, <laughs> uh, is that it's, mm. it's a lot of things. Yeah, that makes sense. Everything is a lot of things kind of. There you go. <laughs> Except very specific things. They're very specifically one thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, totally. Well, I mean, there's there's harmony. The harmony part with like the types of chords, you know, chords with like multiple voices, um, uh, all three chord. You know, those are type of chords that kind of come from that. In. You just had that shit there the whole time and you just ripped <laughs> that out in like minute 46 <laughs> of the podcast. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah that, exactly like that's kind of when i hear shit like that i'm like that's jazzy you know yeah it just there's, has there's like definitely a... jazz harmony but jazz harmony is also a part of multiple genres you know there's like there's gospel harmony that's like very specific to gospel there's harmony that's very specific to r&b that's very specific to soul mm. that's very specific to funk even if like on the funk side it's more about uh i guess like the rhythm or the type of riffs that are played because there will be like a lot of vamps where they stay on one chord so it's maybe more like the it's like more the actual patterns or yeah but you know it there's jazz harmony but then that's still very broad you know yeah totally yeah i mean it's a hard thing to define i guess it's same with like uh, defining electronic music uh genres as well it's kind of like what exactly. is dub, like what is dubstep these days it's so broad mm-hmm. it's like gotten way past just the simple applying the LFO to the cutoff shit, you know, it's like gotten so complicated now to where there's like spectral sound design and like crazy fucking comb filters and like delay lines to like make all those like metallic twangs and shit. And it's just so much of it just become this big, like (laughs) hybrid style of EDM beats, I guess. How would you define your, your, uh, your music style? My music style, um, I guess I would define it as like a lot of ARPs, like arpeggios. Um, like pretty much I'll take like any chord progression, just arpeggiate it a ton. Right. Um, so there's lots of that shit and then lots of sound design fills and just like really tight drums usually. But like as far as like as a, a genre. All oh, right. Like, yeah, I guess I just explained it from a technical standpoint. <laughs> um, it was It was super interesting though. Uh, let's see, as from as a genre, I guess I would just call it um, somewhere between glitch and dubstep. Or that, that makes yeah. sense. 
Yeah. Nice. But I don't know. I guess Glitch just, Bill. <laughs> yeah. Bill Glitch. That's like just calling you Nicholas Jazz. <laughs> <laughs> I think Bill Glitch is catchier. I'll legally change my name to Bill Glitch if you legally change your name to Nicholas Jazz. Okay, you have a deal. <laughs> Sick. All right, uh, so that was my manager's question. Let's go to Twitter. Um, nice. Somebody says, how does it feel having 14 fingers on each hand? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's, I guess uh, I will take it as a compliment, but I, I do not. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I guess that person is using that as a, an analogy for dexterity or, or quick lines, or I guess, mm. I don't know. You know, as as a piano player, you definitely start very early to to work on hand independence, and um, I was fortunate to start very young, and so my right hand is is well, it's it's pretty solid because of that. Uh, but I haven't really worked on my left one in the same way that I did for for the right one. So sometimes it's a challenge to kind of balance it, um, and there are people that are much more impressive than what I can do technically uh but I, I guess that's not the point at the end of the day it's 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 really not important i think dexterity is is uh is a tool it's it's useful but it's always important for me to to put it or use it in service of what i feel the arrangement is calling for and always prioritize taste and uh and phrases phrases are are the key always always yeah totally yeah this yeah, I, I totally agree. I think like the only way to start a piece of music that makes any sense is if you have a good riff or a good phrase or some yeah, there you some go. some like good little thematic motif. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm. Um, all right. Uh, Wax Future says, "What's your favorite mode of the major scale?" I wouldn't say I have like a favorite mode or well. So okay, it's it's not necessarily a mode, but I, I very much like like upper structured triads. So you basically have a major can you, triad. Can you play what that sounds like? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll give some some examples. Is you'll have a major triad, whether it's inverted or not, over uh, another chord. So it can give various results. If you want, like the altered chords, altered chords sound my bad. So I basically have a C major in the bottom register and then So it's just an Damn, interesting that, way to that voice. one chord if you sit on it, the first one you played. That sounds so fucked. Yeah, it really does. But it sounds awesome in context. But any tension becomes interesting or validated by the fact that it there's a resolution after, right? Right. And then, uh, well, I guess I I I like Lydian a lot. Uh, so let's say using the same approach of upper structured triads, let's say a, a D major triad over that same C. very dreamy so sick man so whenever i am like making chord progressions in ableton if i ever made any of those chords that you just played i'd be like oh that's definitely wrong and i would like change all the notes and shit oh but it's so happy that that's that sounds pretty nice it's very peaceful it sounds um what's the word like uh 
harmonically contiguous, I guess, or like uh, mm, like nice. all the. Uh, that's probably not the right way to say it. Oh, what, what am I like? Uh, all the harmonics in the spectrum are like either even or odd, so they sound gotcha. coherent, like harmonically coherent. I guess would be the word. I think nice. when when timbres start to get like uh, have a bunch of even shit and a bunch of odd shit going on, like I guess snare drums are like this or hi-hats are like this so usually drums that are very noisy or it's just sounds in general that are very noisy are like this but i've um you know all of all the sound is is a bunch of frequencies right in the right. spectrum at different volumes and that creates like different timbres and shit uh -huh. um which is essentially all like a chord is as well but it's just like six or seven of these very specific ones uh where the fundamental is like significantly louder than the rest of the stuff so it produces right. this like very defined chord sound but when those harmonics i guess are like slightly off in these weird ways which are like these dissonant chords i just uh i think because my brain is so geared towards making harmonically coherent sound design stuff i go like oh that's wrong and <laughs> decide to change it but i i, I get that well I like when you say that like with since there's uh like very often some well, I guess it depends on on the context of whether other timbres are used, but I don't know. I find like, let's say like I, it's just like a a chord with like three voices, like a minor or major chord, but there's like a whirly playing it, there's a piano playing it, and there's a synth playing it. Just because of that, there's already some dissonance going on, but there's like you can tolerate it, and I don't know, like just in an orchestra. There are many cases where like maybe a little bit less nowadays, but it still happens naturally because of the way the instruments just are um <clears throat> like maybe like the first string section might be slightly sharper than like the cello section or the woodwind section but it actually still makes the whole thing very coherent and it makes it so that the melody just shines through like a little bit more so like pitch is very much relative as is tuning mm. and dissonance is also rel relative to the context that it it's happening in yeah, it's a good point, man. I should think about this shit more when I'm making music. I feel like <laughs> I feel like I always am so quick to dismiss shit that sounds wrong in isolation rather than you know. I think it's really all about the the context. It is actually, yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm doing myself a disservice by not thinking of music this way, I think. All right. Um Nyon slash Joey says, What's your favorite video game? Hmm. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite video game, but definitely one of my favorite video games is Donkey Kong 64. Oh, it's dude, the yeah. <laughs> only game that I completed at a hundred percent and I'm still nice. very proud of it. <laughs> it was a very delightful experience and, okay. uh, I would very much like to, I think it's cause I have a switch. It's my, like my main video game. Well, I guess like just platform. It's the only console that I'm really playing right now. And they're, they're coming up with like the, you can play 64 games on the Switch very soon. And so I'm excited to actually go back to that game. Yeah, but, Super Mario 64, I think, was my one of my favorite games. Oh, ever. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah, that, I think every other Super Mario is like not, not as good as that one for some reason. It's Maybe very it's hard just, to beat. Uh, I don't know if it was just done really well or if it's because I'm just nostalgic for it because I played it at a young age when I was just so into it. Maybe um, uh, a mix probably, of both. Yeah, it's probably a bit of both. Mm -hmm. uh, all right, Komisa um, asks, are you still going to collaborate with Haywire? Yes, we, we actually talked very recently. So 
I, I sometimes I, <laughs> I lose track of, of uh, stuff that's in progress, including w what we started together, depending on um, if I'm focused on a, a certain project. So, you know, the main focus right now is, is really the, the album, which has some collaborators on it as well, but there, there's still like a major chunk that's, um, chunk of it that's like uh, very much solo. Uh, once that's done, there's some, a lot of collaborations that I kind of like want to go back to. So we did start something with Martin a couple of years ago and never really got to, to finishing it, but we did catch up uh, a few days ago and kind of discuss going back to it. So I'm going to say yes. I just don't want to promise uh, <laughs> like when it's going to come out, <laughs> mm. but I, I would very much uh, like for it to come out. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I think you and Haywire would make some crazy shit. He's shown me some. Yeah, he's he's also insane, man. Like he's ah, uh, he's amazing. Uh, his ability, his playing ability is crazy, but just his ability to like write crazy, like his ability to write like crazy jazzy like technical shit is awesome. But I love that he can also make like incredibly poppy sounding music. Like he just has such a versatility there. Incredible approach and super creative approach to sound design, harmony, and the way he arranges everything. It's, yeah, it's, his uh, sound design is also incredible. Yeah. I, I feel like um, he doesn't explore as much with sound design these days as he used to, but uh, I just I know he has crazy sound design skills for sure. Yeah. I think he almost like restrains in a lot of ways, right? Like he restrains from going as hard as he can with sound design and with uh, his playing just to like curate this very... A specific pop vibe or something that he's going for which is that's definitely possible i mean i sometimes that's the kind of thing that I, i'd be curious to hear directly from the creator because like yeah totally we're, we're not always like made aware of like every specific step of the process or like those creative choices but i i think it's really interesting that you that you're bringing it up yeah i mean i, I just feel that way because i remember hearing his stuff in like 2013 uh and 2014 and it was just I feel like there's a lot, uh, a lot more experimental. Maybe is the word for it than uh, mm -hmm. than, than his stuff now. Right. All right. I have one more question for you. Uh, when are we going to finish our collab? Yeah. Well, that, that's <laughs> what I was also alluding to <laughs> yeah, yeah. by saying that uh, that sometimes uh, when a specific project comes up and then I I, I kind of need like I know myself and I know the way I work I, I'm giving like my entire energy and attention to, to that specific piece of work so uh, I, I want to say immediately after yeah nice um, I guess like I'm also interested in your album a bit as well like uh, is it kind of like a concept album or is it um, like what's the idea behind it uh, like, so I guess for, what, what kind of themes are you exploring with it and stuff it's less specific or defined than the, the two EPs were. The two EPs were both of them had like the Montreal as like the, the inspiration or theme behind it. I guess like these these tracks are potentially a bit more disconnected just also by the fact that there, there are some collaborators that each bring their own influence and they kind mm. of each have their own worlds, Can which is fantastic. Can you say collaborators are? Uh, not now. There's going to be the, the, the name drops will start at the start of next year, basically in, in, uh, in January. Okay. Yeah, so the I first this, two singles, uh, I can say like that they're coming out in November and December. Those will both be instrumental, uh, -huh. uh just to kind of start this new chapter. And then collaborators will start popping every month uh, mm -hmm. after that. All uh, right. So there's like a bunch of collabs on the album. Yeah. Like, there, there, there's a, there's a few. Nice. That's awesome. How many tracks is the album roughly? Uh, it's going to be depending on, on 
what track ends up being an interlude or a full arrangement because I'm arranging till till December still, but uh, it should be around 10 or 12, depending on okay. my final decisions. <laughs> right. What is the difference for you between arranging and producing or, uh, or is, is arranging just like a word that you sort of use synonymously with producing? Yeah, I guess the both, both uh, angles are kind of like intertwined. Gotcha. Cool, man. Well, yeah, I'm stoked to hear it. I'm sure the collaborators that you have on there are insane. So, It, it should be very fun. I, I think I'm a little bit too deep in it to, to kind of have any sense of distance or perspective. Yeah, that <laughs> happens, man. I, I had that with my recent album. I like, uh, by the time I'd finished it, I was just like, I don't even know if this shit is good. <laughs> and I was like, I've put, I've done my due diligence of like putting so much time into it There and I go. can't, and I can't think of anything else to do. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I guess it's done. <laughs> Congratulations, When, dude. You feel that way? Thank you. You man. put it out yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. It's a tough thing to do. It can it, be. A it tough really thing is. It is for an album. I feel like for singles, it's a little easier because you're just like, oh, whatever it is. Yeah, like, less pressure. Yeah, exactly. Well, hey, man. Thank you so much for coming on. It was awesome to catch up with you and chat with oh, you. Oh, you too, man. Thank you so much, Bill. Yeah, of course. I look forward to the album and um, yeah, I look forward to working on our collab after you're done with the album. And yeah, me too, man. When touring, or when you resume touring next year, I'll see you on the road somewhere, hopefully. Absolutely, dude. Cool, man. Well, yeah, thank you once again, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right, dude. Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded by Robert Fumo. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes, and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's Tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com. Thank you. Hello.